following is a presentation of the Outside Lens Radio Network. Recording live from Studio Chanteau, outside of Detroit, Michigan, you're listening to Scotty Freytown and Tyler Dean, The Outside Blitz! And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Outside Blitz. I am your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, and uh, folks, we are once again... That's right. We are all by ourselves. Yep. That's what's going on. Tyler is still on vacation. Uh, we attempted to get uh, Alex and Andrew Steele on to join us, but that didn't happen. It's all right, though. You, The Savior, Mr. Consistency, yours truly, your favorite host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, is here. And, uh, folks, we are going to be doing a one-man show, and that's going to be okay. It's going to be A-okay. We're going to make it work, all right? So, folks, it, we're, we just finished out week 13. Lots of excitement going on in the league. We got a lot of news around the league. Uh, some tensions boiling over. We did have somebody pass away, which is a little sad, but we're going to jump into that in a little bit. Folks, it, it's, uh, it's been a wild time. Uh, this season, and and we're already, I, I can't believe we're already on the back end. Uh, very, very surprising that we were this close to the end of the regular season. Uh, week 13 in the books, we're going into week 14. Going to be an exciting time. We got lots of stuff going on, so I want to jump back right into those scores to uh, from week 13. So, ladies and gentlemen, here are your scores from week 13 in the NFL Starting off with the Cowboys and the Saints. The Cowboys beat the Saints 27-17. We talked about this in uh, last week's episode. Cowboys getting it done here. Dak Prescott looks all right. Taysom Hill. So, And I know Tyler, when he gets back, he's going to be spouting off about Taysom Hill this, Taysom Hill that. Taysom Hill didn't look good in this game. Let me make it clear. But when Taysom Hill was healthy in the first half before he hurt his hand, because he hurt his hand in this game, he looked rough in the second half after the injury. But before the injury, Taysom Hill looked really, really good. So there's it's debatable about Taysom Hill. And I know Tyler isn't completely sold on him. He said it in previous episodes. But I'm telling you right now, I'm still sold on Taysom Hill. I love everything that Taysom Hill's been doing. And, and frankly, I, I feel like it was just a bad stroke of luck there um, for his hand to be in that, in that uh, state that it is. So the Cowboys get it done. Next up, you got the Dolphins and the Giants. Dolphins win 20-9. Dolphins are right back in the hunt here. We almost counted them out a few weeks ago, that playoff picture. Suddenly, they're in that in-the-hunt situation where they could wind up with a, a wild-card spot here. So the Dolphins have been pretty exciting. Tua Tungavailoa, weirdly enough, has seemed to found his stride. 30 for 41, 244, two touchdowns. Just an interesting time. Uh, and and Tua's just been getting it done. I don't know what it is, but it, ever since he got hurt and came back and Jacoby Brissett got sat down, there's been this different confidence about Tua Tungavailoa. And uh, also with Jalen Waddle, Jalen Waddle's been getting a lot of receptions and a lot of attention the last couple of weeks. He looks good in this game. Gotta love what they're doing. But also, on the other side, you got Mike Glennon going uh, 23 for 44 for the Giants. I mean, everybody knows that Mike Glennon isn't a starter in this league. We've we've talked about this repeatedly and and made jokes about Mike Glennon and and 
all of his his nonsense. But here we are, Mike Glennon starting for the Giants, kind of a joke. Uh, I would have rather seen Jake Fromm, but we'll get into that later. Uh, Dolphins win this one 20-9. Next up, you got the Bucks beating the Falcons 30-17. This was to be expected. We, we knew this was coming. Uh, Falcons are, are have been digging themselves out of the cellar, which is weird. Um, right now, they're 5-7. and seven. As of last week, they were in the hunt, and they're still, I guess, technically in the hunt, although on the lower end of that spectrum. But, you know, you got Matt Ryan trying his hardest to dig his team out of the hole that they put themselves in at the beginning of the year. Russell Gage here had himself a great game. And then on the other side, you know, Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things. Four touchdowns. I mean, he looked damn good. And, and realistically, Chris Godwin had himself a fantastic game. They had no answers for Godwin, no answers for Evans. Great game for the Buccaneers, 30-17. to 17. Like I said, this was expected. We knew it was coming. Uh, next up, you got the Chargers and the Bengals. The Chargers go up 41-22 to on the Bengals. Sort of a surprise here. I expected the Bengals to have a little more fight in them, and they just didn't. It didn't look like the Bengals team of old and, and the, the Bengals team that we've seen this year. I mean, they really, the Chargers held Joe Mixon in check, which, I mean, he's been red hot lately. But I think the bigger story here is T. Higgins for the Bengals because he has suddenly emerged as a number one receiver. And I said last year in the in the draft that I loved T. Higgins. I thought T. Higgins was going to be something really spectacular. And, and they didn't utilize him as much as I would have liked for a guy that got selected in the second round. But T. Higgins showed up. Nine receptions, 138, a touchdown. It was a big game for him. So you got to like what, they're, what he's been doing and how he's come around. But the big story here is Justin Herbert. I mean, on the Chargers side, I, I, I think Justin Herbert, it, we, we were all asking ourselves as this game was going on, Tyler messaged me, and the Steel Boys messaged me, Ray, Ray, Ray he messaged me, and, and we're all going, where was this Justin Herbert for, you know, the, the first half of the season? Because he looked a little bit rough after week two, but Justin Herbert the last three weeks has really come out firing. He had a great game. Uh, this time around, and Mike Williams suddenly reemerged, which we were excited to see because Mike Williams started out hot and then kind of cooled off, and now he's starting to come back. So good on him, and he might have more opportunities with uh, Keenan Allen being injured, but we'll see, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Next up, you got the Eagles beating the Jets 33 to 18. This was another one to be expected. Uh, you know, I don't think that that you know Gardner Minshew is a starter in this league. But he had himself a damn good game in this game, uh, filling in for the injured Jalen Hurts. He he looked pretty good, 20 for 25, two touchdowns. I mean, it was a very surprising game. And weirdly enough, Miles Sanders just kind of pops up out of nowhere, having himself a good time. And so you got to like what the Eagles did. And then on the other side with the Jets, you know, Zach Wilson, meh. I mean, he did okay. I mean, he, he looked like a rookie. But he looked like a higher-end rookie in this game. He did not look bad. I can't sit here and say that Zach Wilson looked bad in this game. The real story here, obviously, is Elijah Moore, though, for the Jets. I mean, that hit is going to be something special. There was a lot of hoopla over, over this kid in the offseason. Nobody really knew what we were looking at. Everybody was kind of saying, eh, I'm not so sure about him. No, Elijah Moore is the real deal. And and uh, I'll tell you, I'm pretty excited about him. Uh, next up, you got the Cardinals beating the Bears 33-22. Another to-be-expected type of situation. You know, Kyler Murray returns to the field, and, and he, he didn't throw a whole lot. But, I mean, it was, it was just one of those kind of game-managing type of situations, I guess. 
The Bears were looking to shut down the pass. They sort of did it, but, I mean, Murray only threw 15 times, but he got 11 completions out of it. So, I mean, hey, good on him. And then the other side, you know, Andy Dalton gets the start. He looks rough around the edges. We'll get into their starting quarterback situation later. But uh, the Bears lose a, a tough one to the uh, the Cardinals. And, and, I mean, it just seems like the Cardinals are going to bulldoze everybody this season. Next up, you got the Vikings dropping a tough one, a heartbreaker to the Detroit Football Lions. Not very happy about this one as a Vikings fan. And I'm going to be jumping into this one in a second because I, I really I got to talk about this Vikings team and uh, what they're doing. And, and people were expecting the Vikings rant. Uh, this week, and I'm going to give them a Vikings rant. It's going to happen. Uh, next up, you got the Colts beating the Texans 31 to nothing. Um, and you know what? Uh, another to-be-expected situation. The Colts have been red hot recently. Red hot. Carson Wentz, game-managing football. Obviously the big story here. The man that's been putting that team on his back, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor just ripping it up this this. Uh, this season i mean 32 carries 143 two touchdowns just a monster game for him and and michael Pittman finally coming alive a little bit after a quiet couple of weeks i'm, I'm glad to see him kind of showing up and then we had the dumpster fire that is the houston texans now davis mills tyrod taylor i mean they were playing the hokey pokey at quarterback davis mills looked bad tyrod taylor came in tyrod taylor looked bad i mean it was just a mess so, I mean, I'm just going to come out, out right here and say it. Uh, the Houston Texans need to go out and find themselves a first-round quarterback, and I think that's where they're going to head. Either that or they better start getting ready to pay Aaron Rodgers uh, and the Packers a visit so they can get a hold of his services for the upcoming seasons. And whether or not Aaron Rodgers is ever going to want to go there, we'll see. But, yeah, they're just rough over there in Houston. The Colts, on the other hand, though, making a run at the playoffs here we could see the indianapolis colts in the playoffs in the in the coming uh weeks here so i mean at seven and six right now they're definitely in the hunt they actually might be one of the seeds i would have to look at the seeding but the colts looking great and and a lot of teams are going to have trouble with them and and stopping that jonathan taylor run game uh, it's going to be a rough go for for anybody who faces off against them Next up, you got Washington and the Raiders. The, the Washington football team wins a real tight one, 17-15 over the Raiders. The, the, so we rode off Washington a few weeks ago, and now Washington is 6-6. Six and six. I, I believe they won four in a row here, and they're just looking really solid. And for as much crap as we give Taylor Heineke, I mean, he has not looked bad at all. He is looking very, very good. I'm impressed with Taylor Heineke. And I'm impressed with the things that he's accomplishing here. 23 for 32 touchdowns. He did have a pick in the game, but he still looked good. And another guy that's really kind of emerging uh, again. And, and we, we liked him last year, but Antonio Gibson has been a little eh, hit or miss here and there. I mean, this is the type of game you expect for him. So, you know, 23 carries, 88 yards, and then he gets another five catches for 23 yards and a TD. I mean, he's looking like a number one running back so you really got to like what Antonio Gibson is, is kind of being able to turn out here and then over on the Raiders side Derek Carr didn't look bad but he didn't get points in the in the in the end zone here I mean he had no touchdowns he didn't throw a pick he didn't make mistakes but he's, he's really having a hard time getting the ball in the end zone and Josh Jacobs hasn't looked like the Josh Jacobs we we've come to know I mean 13 carries for 52 yards and a lot of it might be from you know, underuse because he only did have 13 carries on the day, but eh, 
you know, I, I'm not entirely sold on Josh Jacobs. And then there's Hunter Renfro over here getting nine receptions for 102 yards, which, I mean, I get it. They're sort of void at, at uh, receiver right now with everything that went on with Henry Ruggs and, and Renfro had to step up. But I think the Raiders are going to wind up going into this draft and they're going to find themselves one of those top-tier receivers, whether it be a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or, you know, if Justin Ross declares. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But they're going to find themselves a top-tier receiver at some point here. The Raiders do need receivers. And, and ever since Henry Ruggs had his situation and his legal troubles, I mean, they've, they've been having trouble moving the ball a little more than I, that I would like to, or they would like to admit, rather. So, yep, the Raiders drop a heartbreaker to Washington there. Next up, the uh, Rams dominate the Jags. Another to-be-expected game. I mean, Matt Stafford doing what Matt Stafford likes to do. These are the games that, you know, you got to win. These are those games where, where it's like, you know, this is a junky team we're taking on. We got to win this. Matt Stafford, three touchdowns, no picks, makes no mistakes in that game. The guy I want to talk about, though, and one guy that Tyler won't be talking about, Sony Michelle had himself a hell of a game. Tyler hates Sony Michelle. Oh, he's not a number one running back. Sony Michelle sure as hell looks like a number one running back. Now, I understand it's against the Jacks. I get it. It's against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, come on, let's be real. Sony Michelle looked damn good in this game. 24 carries, 121, and a touchdown. I mean, he looked good. Cooper Cup doing Cooper Cup things. I mean, this was a, a, a complete game by the Rams, and they tore it up. And then on the other side, you know, Trevor Lawrence looking a little rough. But I want to point out here that I never, I just don't understand the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point. I don't understand Urban Meyer. I don't understand how you can have a running back like James Robinson on the field and fail to utilize him. I don't understand how, you know, it, it's very clear that, that Urban Meyer hates James Robinson. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And we're going to jump into that shortly here. But how does Carlos Hyde out-touch James Robinson? I mean, Hyde had nine attempts. James Robinson had eight. Uh, you know, they each had fumbles. James Robinson had a fumble, and, you know, Urban Meyer just kind of said, eh, I'm going to sit him on the bench. James Robinson, I've said it for several weeks now, James Robinson is the best player on this Jacksonville Jaguars team, and he needs to be the guy that, that is toting the rock every single game. I don't care about his fumbles. Like, I do, but I don't. Because you know who else had fumbling problems? Adrian Peterson had fumbling problems. So what the hell do I care if the guy fumbles every now and then? If he's putting up the yardage and he's putting up the production, he's your best offensive player, you should be using him. He's better than Carlos Hyde by far. We all know it. So give James Robinson the ball. I just don't understand the, the logic. And we'll jump into the James Robinson fiasco, um, you know, during news time here. Next up, you got the 49ers dropping a, a tough one to the Seahawks. Russell Wilson finally comes alive here after the hand surgery and starts really looking like Russell Wilson. This is the first time, and suddenly the Seahawks are 4-8. and eight. Russ goes 30 for 37, two touchdowns. He had a hell of a game. You know, and the interesting thing is the Seahawks, when, during the week, they picked up Adrian Peterson and expected him to start, but Travis Homer, actually, even though he only had three attempts, looked like the more effective back. Uh, you got to like that. And strangely enough, Tyler Lockett has been coming alive more consistent, more consistently excuse me, in the last couple of weeks where DK Metcalf, really, I mean, the last few weeks, DK Metcalf has been nearly non-existent. He has not been used uh, the way he's normally used. I'm a little taken aback and a little surprised by it. We haven't seen that production out of DK Metcalf, but Tyler Lockett 
you know, for a while we were saying, oh, DK Metcalf's the number one in Seattle. Uh-uh. It's Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett has become the number one in Seattle, and I'm blown away by it. It's just incredible to me. So, uh, yeah, we got Tyler Lockett going. I mean, he had himself a, a hell of a game. He's had himself a hell of a couple games, and Russ Wilson seems to be targeting him a lot more. And really, when, when Geno Smith was in there, he was targeting Tyler Lockett more than DK Metcalf. It's a strange situation. It's a strange circumstance. But at the end of the day, that's what's going on. And over with the 49ers, I mean, they had a rough go. Jimmy G looked a little rough, but George Kittle had him said, George Kittle looking like the George Kittle of old, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching. Elijah Mitchell didn't get the production we're used to seeing. Look, that offense, and as much as I love George Kittle, and as much as I love G- Debo Samuel, as much as I love those guys, you know, a lot, this offense is, is Elijah Mitchell's offense. This offense runs through Elijah Mitchell. He is the centerpiece of that offense currently. Um, and, and I know a lot of people argue that it's Debo Samuel, but with that hard rushing attack, that hard-nosed rushing that the San Francisco 49ers like to use, Elijah Mitchell's the guy. He is the number one running back, and he's the guy. He's, he's their, their Ezekiel Elliott. That's where their offense runs through. So San Francisco needs to find a way to continue getting Elijah Mitchell the football and continue getting him the yardage and playing that ball control football that they like to play. And they'll be a lot more successful. But right now, they're technically in the... I, I don't know if they're considered in the playoff hunt. Again, I'll have to look at the seeding. The seeding, uh, easy for me to say. But the Niners are in the hunt, and that ball control football is a huge reason. So you got to like that. Uh, next up, the Ravens drop a heartbreaker to the Steelers, 20-19. Uh, Lamar and company, they drive down the field. They go for a quick little throw, and it gets dropped. Lamar, very frustrated, throwing his helmet on the ground on the two-point conversion attempt. You know, I got to say, I just, I didn't understand the Ravens going for two in this situation. I wouldn't have. Uh, It's, it's, take the, the, and I get it. You want to be aggressive, and you want to win the game, and whatever else, and hey, good for you. But at the end of the day, to me, eh, I would have just much rather taking the um, taking the extra point and taking the, the tie and gone into overtime and, and tried to beat the Steelers out in overtime. And with, with the Ravens, you know, they, that would have been their best bet. I, I just, I don't like the idea of, of going for the two situations, or going for two with 12 seconds left. Eh, it's, no, because then it's your whole game. Take take the safe bet, go into overtime, that's that's what you got to do. But the, the Ravens lose a tough one to the Steelers, and... Um, yeah, here we are, 20-19. to 19. Steelers, you know, we'll get into their, their Thursday night fiasco from this past Thursday. We'll, we'll wind up talking about that a little bit. But, yeah, Ravens, that was a tough loss for them. Next up, you got the Chiefs dominating the Broncos, 22-9. You know, I'm going to say this. The Chiefs' defense, as much as, much as people don't want to uh, admit it recently, and I know the Chiefs' defense has been really rough around the edges in the like past few years here, dude, the Chiefs' defense has been dominating recently. Absolutely dominating. And nobody seems to be noticing, but I'm noticing, because the Chiefs' defense suddenly has become this like elite defense that's just shutting people down, and there's been a lot of low-scoring teams against them. I mean, this time they beat the Broncos 22 to nine. But I'll tell you what. I mean, Patrick Mahomes only only had 15 completions on 29 29 attempts. This was not a good day for Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs still got it done and held the Broncos to nine points. And I'm not going to sit here and say the Broncos have some type of potent offense. But Javante Williams had himself 
one of the more incredible games, and I'm thankful for that because I had him in fantasy. So, <laughs> But at the end of the day, you know, the, the Broncos, I mean, their offense isn't anything to write home about. Their, their defense is better than their offense, but they, they had good production here, and they just couldn't score. They couldn't get points on the board, and the, the Chiefs were shutting them down. It was, it's been a weird surprise from the Chiefs recently. Uh, I, I'm excited to see them. They've obviously dug themselves out of the cellar there to, to bring themselves back into, you know, playoff contention. And right now they're in the playoffs and they're leading that division. So good on them. Chiefs back to eight and four. They're not looking like the Chiefs we're used to seeing, but hell, they're still, they got the record of the Chiefs we're used to seeing right now. So that's kind of exciting. And last but not least, Monday Night Football. You got the Patriots beating the Bills in one of the most interesting games I think I've ever seen. Uh, I I know we we get a lot of weather conditions that affect things, and uh, there's there's a lot of situations where, where, you know, the wind in particular can cause a lot of problems. I don't think I've ever seen a game that windy to the point where Mac Jones is only throwing the ball, what, what did he throw the ball, three times in that game? I mean, it was just, it was silly. Mac Jones had... Two completions on three attempts for 19 yards in that game, and the Patriots still won the game because of their running offense. Uh, Damian Harris and Ramondre Steven, they are legitimate. Like, we always talk about, oh, it's a two-headed monster. It's a two-headed monster. Da-da-da-da. That's a legitimate two-headed monster because Damian Harris had 10 carries for 111 yards and a TD, and Ramondre Steven had 24 carries for 78 yards. The fact that they were accomplishing that, on the ground against what is considered by and far the number one defense in this league. That's that's problematic for the Bills, but I also think that it's it's you know something that is uh, worth mentioning about the Patriots right now and how red hot they are and how good Bill Belichick and company is because they took care of business in this football game. And you know, to Josh Allen's credit. He still was throwing the ball, and he had, I mean, he was at a 50% completion percentage. He had a touchdown. He still threw for 145 yards. He was throwing bullets in this game. I mean, just bullets. I, I was amazed by that. But it, it, it was definitely, a, I knew it was going to be a low-scoring affair, but it was a tough one to watch. And, and But the Patriots wound up getting it done. They had the right idea, running the football. That's what you had to do in this game. And this is another situation where I think if the Bills had themselves a high-end running back, that they could have won this football game. But the Bills refused to address the running back situation. And they didn't do it in the draft, which I I was saying, hey, these guys need a high-end running back, and they failed to go and get themselves a high-end running back. The Bills are a one-dimensional football team. And and until they go out and get that Thurman Thomas-type player, which, I mean, that's the comparison I'm going to make because just because it's the Bills, but until they get that guy, this team is going to be stuck in a purgatory like this where they're going to be making the playoffs and they're going to be looking good, but they aren't going to get anything done with a good defense and and this great defense that they're wasting right now. And, And they have all these good receivers, but then they don't have any running game. So everybody's just dropping into coverage, and that's why the Bills, I think, this year have been having a really tough go of things. They're only seven and five. We expected them right now to have 10 wins. Most of us expected them to be dominating this division, and right now the Patriots are 9-4 and four in first place. It just doesn't make sense. <clears throat> the Bills need to go out into this year's draft or go into free agency and find themselves a high-end running back. That's what they need to do. That's their job. And it's like that, that'll take them a lot further than people want to admit. Nobody's looking at it. 
Nobody's looking at that situation. And Tyler and I have been talking about it consistently on this show. Nobody, but nobody else has been saying, hey, this team needs a running back. I mean, I don't understand the, the skimping on the running back. I don't think Devin Singletary is the guy. I don't think Zach Moss is the guy. And, and it's showing. It's very much showing. So the Bills drop a heartbreaker here to the Patriots, <clears throat> 14-10. to And uh, ladies and gentlemen, those are your scores for uh, Week 13 in the NFL. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this Vikings game before we go to break, this Vikings-Lions game. So here's my thing. And, and going into this game, I, I said on last week's show, I, I took the Vikings to be on the safe side. And, and it turned out not to be so safe. But I did say I had a strange feeling about this football game. I, I said I had a strange feeling and I felt like this could be a, a major trap game. And I felt like the Lions, I'm taking the Vikings to be on the safe side, but because everybody's going to call me crazy if I take the Lions. But then, you know, the Lions wound up winning this football game. And that's where we're at. Here's what I'm going to say, though. First and foremost, good on the Detroit Lions for exploiting the Vikings. Good on them. I, I mean, that's that's what it is. If there was ever a time, though, for the Minnesota Vikings to blow this team up, I mean, this you, you've been waiting for rock bottom for a while, and, and this is officially rock bottom. You just lost to a winless Lions team. And... Every year, the Vikings are good for this. They're good for a trap game. They, they, they ran into the Buffalo Bills back in 20, it was 2018. They ran into the Buffalo Bills. It's like, what the hell are we doing here? And, and, you know, every year they lose to some team that they should not be losing to. And this year, that team was the Detroit Lions. This is your rock bottom. You lost to a winless team. That's what it comes down to. You lost to a winless team. And every, every week... I'm tired of looking at this situation where this offense and and there's going to and I'm going to get into the problems on this team and what I think they need to do. But every week this Minnesota Vikings team disappears for entire halves of football. It's every week the offense it disappears for an entire half of the football game. It's insane. Even in the in the win versus Seattle, they where they looked so goddamn good. And they came out and they, they beat them handily, 31-17. But look at the numbers. They scored all their points in the first half. They only had six in the second half. This Minnesota Vikings football team is, I, I think a lot of it starts from the top down. And now that you've hit rock bottom, now that you've hit that point where, where we're, you know, we're, we're losing to winless football teams, it's time to blow it up. And there's a lot of people out there and a lot of Vikings fans out there that are oh no let's not blow it up let me break this all down for you and this is a problem from the top down and and I'm when I say top down I mean I'm talking general manager Rick Spielman all the way down but here's the the issue I think Rick Spielman actually survives all of this I don't think Mike Zimmer survives all of this but I think Rick Spielman survives all of this Mike Zimmer is is the main problem and, and a lot of people are saying, fire Rick Spielman, fire Rick Spielman. And I understand why they're saying that, because obviously, you know, there have been some personnel issues and, and whatever the case. Here's what I'll say about Rick Spielman. First of all, Rick Spielman has brought in some really, really great players for this football team. And he's found some really great diamonds in the rough. He's the guy that brought you guys like Daniil Hunter. And he's the guy that brought you guys like Everson Griffin. And he's the guy that brought you guys 
you know, for years we had Linval Joseph, and now you got Dalvin Tomlinson who's been playing at a really high level. He's the guy that went out and picked up Harrison Smith. He's the guy that, that you know, found Xavier Rhodes when, and, and had Xavier Rhodes be red hot for a while. He is the guy that, that has created this football team that is, is successful from a personnel standpoint. And there have been some bad personnel moves. I mean, and, and Anthony Barr is, is a case in point here. And when Anthony Barr got signed, I was excited because I, I said, all right, it's the right move because Anthony Barr, even though Anthony Barr has not panned out the way I hoped after getting the big contract, and that has proven to be a mistake, he was the only viable linebacker on that market at that time that the Vikings should have signed. There was nobody else. There was literally nobody else. So I can't exactly say that Anthony Barr was a complete mistake. He just didn't pan out on this new contract. But Rick Spielman has made some good moves. I think he survives this. The, the one move that I think Rick Spielman made a true mistake on was the re-signing of Kirk Cousins, the extension. And, it, and when he did that, I was excited initially, but then I realized at the end of the contract, he, he had a guaranteed $45 million. And I said, oh, okay, well, he'll get rid of him before then. He did, and and now we're we're guaranteeing, uh, you know, he, he by by the the second day of this league year, he was guaranteed that forty five. He didn't get rid of him; he just kept him around, and so now we're stuck with this forty five million dollar cap hit. The good news is, if we trade Kirk Cousins, you know, we save thirty five million on the cap, and then ten million dollars is our our job to hand to take over. But at this stage of the game, with how everything is panned out. Kirk Cousins seems like a mistake to me, and, and I'll jump into that shortly. But the bigger problem, and the guy I don't think survives all of this, is Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer has proven to be fool's gold. He has. Whether anybody wants to admit it, Mike Zimmer has proven to be fool's gold. And for a while, I was excited about Mike Zimmer because he had a really, really good defense. But if you look at the changes in his personnel from the last couple of years until now, we're finding out that Mike Zimmer isn't actually a defensive guru like we thought. He's just a really bad babysitter because he had he's had great personnel and he babysat that great personnel for a long time and, and they wound up having top five defenses all the time. And good on him for doing that. But now that we're, we're not getting as talented a guys on that field, here we are, Mike Zimmer having a rough time, and his, his defenses have been 31 and 30, respectively, in the last two years. So now that he doesn't have that amazing personnel, Mike Zimmer can't get it done. Like I said, I think he's a really bad babysitter. And I don't understand, and I'll never understand, the, the conservative play calling. I'll never understand the play calling in this game where, where we're playing prevent defense all the way down the field and allowing the Lions to get down the field and, and get out of bounds and all the way down, and then the coup de gras to the whole thing. Mike Zimmer is has his his defensive backs in prevent defense, playing all the way in the back of the end zone. What the fuck are we doing here? Heels on the goal line, fellas. I mean, it's it was an absolute shit show, and you can tell that that Cam Dantzler. He's a third-round guy, he's in his second year, and he clearly hasn't been coached up in the proper way because he was standing there with his thumb in his ass doing nothing. Doing nothing. 
and and it was lazy coverage. He didn't even respond initially until the ball was in the air. He got beat by Amon Ross St. Brown for a game-winning touchdown because he wasn't doing his job, and Mike Zimmer didn't do his job training this kid and teaching this kid and coaching this kid up to be a good corner. This falls on Mike Zimmer. This loss falls on Mike Zimmer. And everybody should be going, huh, that's interesting. But the, the main blame for this loss goes to Mike Zimmer. It's just the fact. And then I'm going to go over to his offensive coordinator as well. Because don't get me wrong, I'm not done with his coordinators. Clint Kubiak, what did we learn from the situation? And I told you a few weeks back, and I, I am, am 100% still on board with this. Clint Kubiak is definitely not his father. He is not. He has no idea what in the hell he's doing. This kid is lost. This kid is is not smart enough to be a head coach in this league, clearly. And so help me, if I see another second and ten where we're running a, a, a scheme out there where we're four wide with an empty backfield, I may just snap. Why would you be on a second and ten, four wide with an empty backfield when you have Delvin Cook? It makes no sense. You know, you're, you're basically telegraphing it. Oh, by the way, guys, we're throwing the ball. I mean, r- really, it makes no sense. I don't understand how this guy became a, a, an offensive coordinator in this league uh, other than pure nepotism, because that's what it is. It's pure nepotism. The guy has no business being an offensive coordinator in the NFL. None. And I stand by that. I think he is he's arguably one of the worst offensive coordinators in the league. Hands down. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the worst. And then there, there's a gentleman that I got to talk about. And, and, you know, people, there's a lot of, look, Kirk Cousins. There's a lot of Kirk stands out there on, on social media. And, and the moment Kirk Cousins, you know, the, there's people that believe that this guy is above criticism. And he's not. He's not above criticism. Whether anybody wants to admit it or not, Kirk Cousins is not above criticism. He's, he's just like anybody else in this league. And he should be held accountable for when he plays poorly. If he has a bad game, people should be saying he played poorly. People should be calling him out. And immediately after this game, when the Vikings only put up six points, six points in the first half, Everybody wanted to, oh, defend Kirk, defend Kirk. No, fuck defending Kirk. Fuck all that. I'm going to tell you that to hell with that. That's garbage. That's nonsense. Hold the man accountable for his bad play. And all these Kirk stands, and they're going to go out and say, oh, well, look at this number. Oh, look, look, look at these stats. Look at these, look at these stats. He, he had 116.7 QBR, and, and, you know, oh, look at him. He... He, had, uh, he was 30 for 40, and he had 340 yards. Okay, well, hang the fucking banner then. Because you just lost to the Detroit Lions, a team we should have been blowing out by halftime, not down 20 to 6. Where was that? The man is the king of hollow stats. He is. Hang the fucking banner if you're all excited about 116.7 QBRs. Because to me, maybe my outlook is a little different than yours, but my outlook is, where the fuck is my Super Bowl? Where's my Super Bowl? Because this guy was supposed to be the guy that took us over the edge. 
He was the guy that was supposed to get us over that hump and get us to that Super Bowl that we so want and we've so deserved and we fought for and that that we have not received and we have not gotten for years. This fan base deserves a deserves better. And we want that Super Bowl. We want that win. And you people are all excited about fucking 116 QBRs or 125.8 QBRs. I don't give a rat's ass. Where is my Lombardi trophy? That's what I want. I couldn't give two shits about, about hollow stats. If that's where, what you're interested in, like I said, hang the fucking banner. But that's not what I'm interested in. I want W's. I want titles. I want championships. I don't want 30 for 40 for 340 and, and two touchdowns and 125.8 QBR and a loss. I want a fucking W. And now there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, well, Kirk's not the problem. Kirk's not the problem. You know what? The man goes into his shell for entire halves of football. Entire halves. And then I got to sit there on social media and see these jackasses like Dom, Dominique Clare and Jared Bardensness sitting there just getting their fucking uvula beat up like a speed bag by Kirk Cousins' genitals because they think he's just the bee's knees. Well, I got news for you. Kirk Cousins needs to show up for four quarters of football. Not two, not three, four quarters of football. That's what I want. Maybe that's just me. And it's those type of things that tell me that it's time to move on from Kirk Cousins. And it's time to move on from Mike Zimmer. And dare I say it, and, and look, I understand this, this past uh, uh, Thursday, and, and the Vikings went out and they beat the Steelers. And they went up 29 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. Two minutes left in the third. There were no points on the board in that game when they beat the Steelers this past Thursday. And guess what? We almost gave up a 29-point lead. And what happened? What happened in the second half of that football game? Because Kirk Cousins blew it up for the first half, and then going into the second half, what did he do? He disappeared in his shell, and he puckered. Puckered. That's what he did. He did nothing. And, and the Vikings almost lost that football game because Kirk Cousins didn't do his job. And let me explain something to you folks. Because... Going in after this game was done, Kirk Cousins was 14 for 31 for 45.2 completion percentage, 216, two touchdowns, two picks. And I went on social media, and immediately there were people defending this guy like he wasn't the problem. This is a $35 million quarterback that went 14 for 31. I don't want to hear it. I don't. I'm so sick and tired. Of, of Kirk Cousins being above criticism to these folks. I get that bad games happen, but you can't go into your shell and disappear for entire halves of football and expect to win these games. And then for Mike Zimmer to go in a press conference right afterwards and say, oh, well, we're must-see football, <laughs> like it's some big fucking joke. You know what? If you think this is a joke, then you don't need to be here. You don't need to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. You need to drag your ass back to being a D.C. You need to drag your ass back to college. You need to go fucking figure it out because you are clearly not to be the head coach of this football team after this season, barring a Super Bowl victory if by some fluke you get there. It's absolutely ridiculous. And everybody wants to sit there and blame the defense. And, and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call out all the... 
this is where I don't re- relate to Vikings fans. This is where I have a problem relating to, to my fellow Vikings fans. Because while a lot of them are sitting there giving Kirk Cousins the old two-handed gawk-gawk combo, I'm over here calling this guy out for disappearing and going into his shell for entire halves of football. And then people are standing there defending him while blaming guys like Harrison Smith saying, and, and you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this out. Vikings fans are, are ridiculous in the sense that the only reason, I'm going to say it right now, the only reason any of you were talking about Harrison Smith or the job that he does or Harrison Smith and, and, and the things that, that uh, he's apparently slowing down on or Harrison Smith has quote-unquote lost a step, I got news for you. Harrison Smith is the number eight safety in the NFL right now. Number eight safety. I don't want to hear diddly shit about Harrison Smith and how he supposedly lost a step because he hasn't. Harrison Smith was worth every penny of that contract. And the fact that anybody says otherwise, it shows me that you don't know dick about this football team. You know nothing. Because Harrison Smith right now is one of the top-ranked safeties in the whole NFL. And he had himself a hell of a game this past week, including knocking out the game-winning pass. So I don't want to fucking hear a single word about Harrison Smith moving forward. I don't want to hear shit. And all these idiots, all these these armchair fucking quarterbacks, all these armchair coaches and GMs that say that he wasn't worth that contract, yeah, well, I beg to differ. Because there's not not many safeties that are better than that guy. You're not going to find many better. So that's my rant. Uh, about the Vikings and everybody I know people were clamoring for that one on this show folks we're going to take a quick break we're going to jump into Tyler's top 10 we're going to jump into Freytown's Forgotten 5 we're going to get this shit rolling here so uh, I want you to to sit back relax we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back right here on the Outside Blitz at It's Your Time Massage you get all the benefits of one of the larger massage chain parlors, but in a more intimate and personal setting. With four years' experience, massage therapist and owner Amanda Yata's goal is to help people in a natural way, offering Swedish deep tissue, pregnancy, aromatherapy, and sports massages. You will feel better and have more energy in just one hour. It's Your Time Massage is offered in-home, Amanda's or yours. With the rates ranging from $55 to $130, you get professional quality at an affordable rate. Contact Amanda today at 313-686-4347 or online at iytmassage.com. It's Your Time Massage, a natural way to improve your well-being. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Are you ready? Get ready, no. Get ready. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. Uh, I am your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, all by myself this week. Tyler is still on his uh, vacation. So here we are. Uh, recording just doing it solo this week, and that's all right. Tyler will be back next week, and we'll uh, be able to jump right back in. Mr. Captain Vacay himself is out and about. But, folks, uh, we've got uh, some business to get down to. I'm going to go ahead and start it off. Uh, Tyler has sent me his picks for the week, 
So I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump into a little session we like to call. Tyler's top 10 and uh, Tyler sent me those 10 players and I'm going to jump right in here with number 10 go with Dallas Goddard six receptions for 105 yards two TDs on the day uh, Goddard looked good in this game it was probably one of his um, more uh, emerging games I, I guess you could say he he's been a little quiet all this season but you know Gardner Minshew really likes to target Dallas Goddard in these situations. 105 yards and two touchdowns, nothing to sneeze at uh, over there with the Eagles. Number nine, we're jumping into Deontay Johnson. Eight receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns for him. Deontay Johnson's one of the more reliable targets over there in Pittsburgh. Uh, ben likes to throw him the ball a lot. I mean, he gets a lot of targets. We're talking double-digit targets almost every game, uh, and and you know that always results in in generally high production for him. And uh, especially recently, Deontay Johnson has been one of the more effective wideouts in the red zone for Ben. So Deontay Johnson here getting two TDs um, and 105 yards. He's number nine. Number eight goes to Kirk Cousins. Now, Kirk had a good stat line. I get it. And everybody wants to applaud his stat line. Good for him. I'm not as sold on Kirk Cousins. He did have a pretty, he, like, he had pretty numbers. 30 for 40, 340 yards, two touchdowns. Still lost to the Lions. I'm not completely sold on Kirk Cousins' stat line. Um, you know, stats are, are one thing, wins are another. But he does deserve to be on this list based solely on the stats. So, I mean, Kirk Cousins, number eight. I mean, I think Tyler, you know, made a good selection here. Uh, number seven, Justin Jefferson. Or not, not Jefferson, Justin Herbert, rather. 25 for 36, 317 yards, three touchdowns. He did have a pick in the game but a dominating performance of the Cincinnati Bengals. Justin Herbert, I, I, I believe this kid's going to have a bust in Canton. I said it a while ago. I'll say it again. I believe he's going to have a bust in Canton. I think he's going to be a, a you know surefire Super Bowl winner, a surefire Hall of Famer. He's just something special. And, and I can't wait for that time um, when Justin Herbert finally comes alive and, and wins himself a, uh, a Super Bowl. So Justin Herbert is number seven on Tyler's top ten. Number six, jumping into Kamu Grugier Hill. <laughs> it's a, uh, easy for me to say. Uh, he had ten solo tackles, 20 combined tackles on the day. Ridiculous. He had a sack. He had three tackles for a loss. Just a huge day uh, for, for Grugier Hill here. Uh, I really think he's something special, and he got it done on uh, Sunday. Number five, a guy that we've been talking about over and over and over again, the current leading rusher in the NFL, Jonathan Taylor, 32 carries, 143 yards, two touchdowns. He's been carrying the workload for the Indianapolis Colts for quite some time, and uh, here we are again, 143 yards, two touchdowns. Carson Wentz does the game-managing work while Jonathan Taylor puts the team on his back and gets it done. I love Jonathan Taylor. And when he got drafted, I said that this kid was going to be a stud. I said it before the draft. I was amazed he wasn't the first running back to go off the board in the draft. Um, and and he's proven to be the most valuable one um, out of that, that uh, 2020 class. So Jonathan Taylor knocking it home. Number four goes to a guy that, that you know, I'm, I'm excited because I was wondering when he was going to get his full-on start. And he finally did. Javante Williams, he had 23 carries for 102 yards. He also had six receptions for 76 yards and a touchdown. 
Javante Williams, to me, is the better running back between him and Melvin Gordon. We expected him to be a starter, but he's turned out not to be the starter over there in, in Denver because they've been doing this timeshare situation. I think this performance proves that Javante Williams is going to wind up being the number one back in Denver and that Denver can move on from Melvin Gordon. Even though Melvin Gordon has said that he wants to um, you know, sign, sign on with the, uh, the Broncos moving forward, nah, Javante Williams... You know, he needs to be the number one guy. And Melvin Gordon can see his way out. The Broncos can go ahead and save the cap space. I, I think Javante Williams is the real thing. Uh, number three goes to Justin Jefferson. Uh, 11 receptions, 182 yards, and a touchdown. Huge game against the Lions. Adam Thielen goes down. Justin uh, Justin Jefferson sees the lion's share of, of – see what I did there? He sees the lion's share of all the, the receptions and the targets, and he wound up having a monster day showing why he is the real deal. He right now is on a great stretch of games. He had, I mean, three games over 100 yards. He's, he's had touchdowns in, I think, each of the last four. I mean, he's having himself a great run here. He's over 1,000 yards. To me, he's top three receiver in football. And, and he's going to be something special for the long haul. If the Vikings are smart, they're going to start making this man happy because he has not been happy dealing with Kirk Cousins for quite some time. Uh, number two goes to Tom Brady, 38 for 51, 368 yards, four touchdowns, and a pick. Brady doing Brady things. He dominated the Falcons this past week, um, and, and him and Chris Godwin and him and Mike Evans really just have a wonderful rapport. We we know Brady's got a plethora of weapons over there, and he put up another outstanding performance uh, against the Falcons. And last but not least, number one goes to George Kittle. Nine receptions, 181 yards, two touchdowns on the day. This was the like seeing the George Kittle of old. I, I am amazed by the fact that, that we haven't seen this in quite some time, and, and it was like George Kittle pre all the injuries. So George Kittle shows up as number one on uh, Tyler's top ten. And moving on, I've, I've got five that I think that Tyler has, has uh, forgotten about. And I, I've got two guys that I'm super excited to talk about that made my list. So here we are, another edition of... Freytown's Forgotten Five, and I have five players that I think Tyler forgot about. Uh, number five is going to be Cooper Cup. Eight receptions, 129 yards, and a touchdown. He had himself an awesome game as per the norm. Cooper Cup has been rock solid for Matt Stafford all year long. He's been getting it done, and here we are yet again. Cooper Cup putting up another really rock solid performance um, and, and really establishing himself as a true number one receiver. You know, for for a while he was technically speaking years ago the number three with the Rams, and but he performed more like a number one. And everybody's saying, well, he's still the number three. And then now that Robert Woods has gone down, we've seen Cooper Cup still consistently show, hey, I can put up the numbers. And and whether or not that makes him quarterback proof, we'll find out. But Cooper Cup, eight receptions, 129, and a touchdown. He's number five on the list. Number four goes to Sony Michelle. 24 carries, 121 yards, and a touchdown. You know, Tyler was telling me that Sony Michelle isn't a number one. And this was one of those guys that I'm excited to talk about, um, you know, within the for, uh, Forgotten Five. Because 
Tyler has told me that, you know, oh, he's not a number one running back, and he can't do it, and he's not, he's not as good as you're saying, and blah, 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 blah. Good for him. But I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, Sony Michelle had 24 carries for 121 yards and a touchdown. He sure as hell looked like a number one, and I get it. It's against the Jaguars' defense, but here we are. Sony Michelle gets his start, and he looks good. So we're going to see if he can continue that moving forward or if Daryl Henderson's going to be making his way back. But I think the Rams got a steal on this trade, and uh, here we are. Uh, number three goes to Jared Goff, 25 for 41, 296 yards. He had three touchdowns and a pick. Jared Goff winds up number three on this list. He had himself a hell of a game, and I was excited to talk about this guy too because Ray, uh, you know, we had Ray Collins on here, and we had Alex Steele on the show, and everybody was crapping on Jared Goff and crapping on Jared Goff. Well, guess what? Jared Goff had himself a really good game against the Vikings and wound up winning the game on a last-second touchdown. Jared Goff dominated this football game. Whether, whether people want to admit it or not, and whether or not people want to say, oh, Jared Goff's not a good quarterback, you know what? Jared Goff has no weapons. He has nothing in Detroit, and he put on a great performance against a Minnesota Vikings team that was, you know, obviously kind of tough. They're kind of middle of the road, and the Lions are sitting at, at you know, at that time, they were 0-10-1. Now they're 1-10-1. Jared Goff gets it done, number three on the Forgotten Five. Number two goes to T. Higgins. Nine receptions for 138 yards, one touchdown. I talked about him a little bit earlier. Higgins is one of those guys that I expected more out of, out of the 2020 draft when he got picked up. Um, I, I honestly wanted the Vikings to go after him uh, rather than Justin Jefferson. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm thrilled with Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson has shown the world that he is one of, if not the best receiver in football. But, T. Higgins is starting to come alive here, and it's super cool to see. He's a big, physical, nasty receiver. He can make these catches in traffic, and that's what he's been doing. Um, and, and especially when they throw it deep to the end zone, he just makes it look easy. I mean, really, he has been making it look very, very easy uh, the way he's playing and, and the way he's making some of these catches. So T. Higgins winds up as number two on the list. And number one goes to Matt Stafford, 26 for 38, 295 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Goff would have been higher than Stafford on this list because he did have more yardage, but Goff threw the interception, so Stafford winds up being at number one. And uh, Matt Stafford doing Matt Stafford things. Um, I'm very impressed with little Matt Stafford. I, I think, you know, he had a little slump there, but he's starting to dig his way out of it. I understand that that this game might be one of those get-right games where he's taking on the, the Jags, which, I mean, a team he should be dominating. The Rams are beating teams they should be beating. I think that's worth mentioning. They're beating every team they should beat, um, but they're they're still having a hard time with, with uh, some of the, the higher-up squads or some of those middle-of-the-road squads, some of those interdivision games. They're having some hard times with it, which I don't think anybody expected. But if this team gets hot, if this Rams team gets hot, they're dangerous, and they're having a hard time a little bit without without Robert Woods on the field, but I think they're starting to understand what they need to do, and they're gaining a rhythm. So Matt Stafford getting it done. He's number one on Freytown's Forgotten Five, and now it's time for Freytown's Forgetful Five. This is one of those times where we just like to crap on people, and uh, that's what we're going to do. Our uh, top, or, well, bottom five performances of the week. Number five, and it's quarterback friendly, well, unfriendly this week, I guess you could say. Number five goes to Teddy Bridgewater. 22 for 40, 257 yards. He had a touchdown, 
and uh, two interceptions on the day. Um, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, Tyler talked a lot about Teddy and, um, you know, how special he was and, and, you know, oh, he played so well in Carolina. Hey, good for him. Well, Teddy Bridgewater has not been doing well for the last few weeks, and Teddy Bridgewater is did not have a good game against a very well a Chiefs defense that recently got hot, but is still technically a lowly Chiefs defense. So Bridgewater, number five on the forgetful five. Number four goes to Mike Glennon, twenty-three for forty-four, one hundred eighty-six yards and a pick. Mike Glennon, you know. We knew he's not anything spectacular. He's been this journeyman backup his whole career. Uh, he did start for a while in in uh, Arizona, and he did start a little while in in uh, Tampa and and whatever. But this guy's a journeyman backup, and he's not good. Let's be clear, he's not fucking good. So Mike Glennon winds up as number four on the forgetful five. Number three. I was sad to put this one on here, but given the injury that you know he sustained and how he played after sustaining that injury, Taysom Hill winds up as number three. This is one where Tyler is going to, you know, jump up and down for joy because he thinks Taysom Hill isn't the real deal. But let let's be clear here. Taysom Hill, before the injury occurred to his throwing hand, he was looking really, really good. Uh he finishes out 19 for 41, 264 yards. He had two interceptions, but Four, or I'm sorry, two touchdowns, but four interceptions on the day. Um, Taysom Hill winds up as number three, but I, I feel bad about it. I feel bad about putting him there because it was injury-related. Um, I don't think it's very fair, but it is what it is. Uh, number two, and believe it or not, after a four-interception performance, it does get worse. Two goes to Davis Mills. Six for 14 for 49 yards on the day. Uh, I don't know what kind of shit show performance... Uh, could top that because he's technically number two. Uh, but Davis Mills did not have himself a good week. But it's his buddy, his teammate, Tyrod Taylor, is the guy that actually winds up in number one. Five for 13, 45 yards, and a pick. Um, both these guys looked awful. Absolutely awful. So, yeah, Tyrod Taylor winds up as number one on the uh, forgetful five. And that is Freytown's Forgetful Five. Now, um, moving into our rookie rankings, Tyler and I, we had our combined rookie rankings. Um, they're all, all set to rock. I will say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a few surprises. To me, there might be a little bit of um, pandering, I guess you could say, that that's occurring here. But, uh, you know, it's worth mentioning. So here's our combined rookie rankings, and I want to make mention of each one. Uh, here's the outside looking in. On the outside, you got Kyle Pitts uh, as the lowest right now. Javante Williams, who's working his way up. Najee Harris, Javon Holland, and Panay Sewell. Uh, Panay Sewell's been red hot over the course of the last six weeks, and Javon Holland's been hot for the last five. Uh, so both those guys are on the outside looking in. I actually had Javon Holland on my list, believe it or not, but uh, Tyler clearly did not, so Javon Holland and Panay Sewell are sitting on the outside looking in. Um, here's our combined rookie rankings, though. Number 10 goes to Jalen Waddle, and uh, Waddle has been having himself a really, really good stretch over the course of the last couple of uh, weeks here, and he's obviously the favorite target there over there in Miami. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa really likes going and, and targeting Jalen. I'm 100% with it. I think Jalen Waddle is something special, and he's become something special. He is the clear-cut number one over there, and they should be treating him as such. 
Uh, number nine, this one kind of bugs me because I had him on the very bottom of my outside looking in, and he winds up as number nine, which means Tyler has him stupid high on his list, um, is Adafi Owe. Now look, I think Adafi Owe is a good player, and he's been having a very good season, and that's all wonderful. But to say that that he is um, playing above certain certain players that high, because with him being winding up as number nine and originally being on the bottom of my outside looking in, that tells me that Adafi Owe is probably in the top five, possibly even top four on Tyler's list. I don't think that Adafi Owe belongs on this list right now. And and it's not that he's a bad player or that he's playing bad. It's just that he hasn't, you know, he had a really down couple of weeks and then he's been kind of digging his way out of the cellar a little bit. And I understand players are going to have bad weeks, but I have questions about, about whether or not he belongs on this list, even as low as he is in the combined rankings. And I have questions about whether or not this is just, you know, Tyler pandering to the Ravens and giving him that old two-handed gawk-gawk combo. I think always a good player. He's played well this season. But to me, I just, I'm not sure that I, he belongs on this list, in my opinion. Um, Tyler loves the guy. I have questions about it. Uh, number eight goes to Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa. This is another one where, you know, from a combined ranking spot, Tyler and I basically had him around the same area. I had him at number 10 on my list, which means that Tyler probably had him at five or six on his. He winds up at number eight. I think, again, Tyler has a, a guy, in my opinion, a little high here. But, uh, I mean, so one of those big things, and I always talk about it, is availability. And Owusu Karamoa, because of his availability, or lack thereof, because he was out for a month, I have questions about whether or not, it, well, obviously he's never going to wind up being number one unless something drastic happens and every guy above him goes down with an injury or plays like absolute horse shit moving forward. But, um, yeah, Owusu Karamoa, because he was out for a month, he was low on my list at number 10, but he's played really, really well. And before he went down, he was probably one, he actually was one of the top players on, on you know, our rookie rankings. Um, and then he fell off drastically because obviously he wasn't available. Um, now he's kind of creeping his way back onto the list, and I see why because he is playing good ball. But I have questions about about you know where Tyler has him as compared to where I have him. Like I said, availability and reliability is a big thing to me. So I have you know I'm a little iffy on him, but he's still you know a really good ball player. Um, number seven goes to Trey Smith. I had Trey Smith very very high on my list. Um, I actually, you know, he wound up being number five on my list this week. Uh, he winds up at number seven on the combined rookie rankings. That usually means about, you know, Tyler had him probably about nine or 10. Trey Smith has been, you know, a real diamond in the rough, a guy nobody's looking at. His grades have been fantastic. According to pro football focus, he's, he's been one of the better offensive linemen in this league this year. And he's, he's one of the top guards. He's been just outstanding. I think him and Creed Humphrey, I keep talking about the two of them as a combo. I think they're just fantastic on the interior of that line. They've really fortified that. Trey Smith was a steal for the Chiefs. I've said it over and over and over and over again. He was an absolute steal, and he 100% deserves to be on this list for how he's played this year. Uh, number six goes to a guy who's been creeping up our list. Tyler and I both had him in the same spot. Number six goes to Mac Jones. He is um, he's creeping up the list. He did fall a little bit this, you know, and, and it, a lot of it had to do with, with his uh, performance on, on Monday Night Football in the wind, barely throwing the football. 
I can't sit here and say that that he's some type of world beater when he's throwing for 19 yards. Has he been efficient when he has been able to throw the ball? Yeah, he has. But he did fall a little bit here because of his his three pass performance. Um, and and he I think we had him top three last week if I'm not mistaken. But he winds up as number six on our combined rookie rankings. Number five, this one, woo, how the mighty fall. Jamar Chase winds up as number five on my list. Um, I've had Jamar Chase drastically falling over the last several weeks. On the and, and he, my list, he wind up winds up as number seven. Tyler clearly has him probably set at four or three. Um, Chase drops down to number five here. He was number one for quite a few weeks. He's had four horrible weeks in a row. And and we can downplay it all we want. Tyler likes to downplay it all. I don't think he's having that bad of a time. He has gone from, you know, as Tyler put it, completely destroying and smashing and, and obliterating Justin Jefferson's rookie record to being not even, you know, coming up to tie it now. He is He's actually about 50 yards short of Justin Jefferson's re- record as far as being on pace. So Jamar Chase has fallen drastically. I've had him fall, you know, wildly down my list because there have been players that have been more consistent and have been playing better, and here we are. Uh, number four goes to a guy that's been kind of playing hokey pokey with the top five, Nate Hobbs. Uh, and and you know Tyler and I both had him ranked at four. I mean he is phenomenal, and he's been phenomenal this year for the Raiders. He stepped in; nobody expected it. He's been absolutely great. Nate Hobbs dominating, dominating uh, at at the corner position. He was ranked the number six overall corner a few weeks ago uh, in the entire NFL, but he was the number one corner out of this draft. And he's been proving his worth week over week over week. You got to love what Nate Hobbs is doing. He winds up at number four. Number three goes to Rashawn Slater. Uh, Slater winds up as three on the combined rankings. I had him at number two on my list. Tyler must have had him a little lower, but Slater winds up as three. He's one of the best offensive linemen to come out of this draft. He's clearly the best offensive tackle that came out of this draft. Um, people need to be talking a little more about Rashawn Slater and the things that he's accomplishing in, uh, in with the Chargers in L.A., I like Rashawn Slater. I wish he would have fallen to the Vikings because I thought he would have been phenomenal. Um, just an outstanding player. He's been great protecting Justin or uh, Justin Herbert's blindside. He's just terrific. So Rashawn Slater winds up as number three. Number two, a guy that's been, he dug his way out of the cellar. He fell out of the, the top three. He was number one at one point, fell out of the top three, came back up. Micah Parsons winds up at number two. I had him at three on my list. He has really dug himself out of the cellar here, and it's been something to behold. Um, I mean, the, he's come alive. The, the Cowboys have put him in a number of different spots. He deserves to be on this list, and as high as he has, especially with how he's played over the course of the last several weeks, you got to love the, the pass rushing. He is like like the new LT. I mean, that's he's, he's Lawrence Taylor in a, in a Cowboys uniform here. So Micah Parsons winds up as number two. And number one, a guy that has led the rookie rankings for the last several weeks, we've been talking about him, Creed Humphrey, the center from Kansas City. Yeah, he's he's dominating right now. He's the number one center in the NFL, and, and the, you can't hold a candle to him. He's the, obviously the best rookie offensive lineman, and right now he is leading our rookie rankings. 
He has completely fortified that Kansas City line. They got a steal in him, and he, I think he was a second round, second or third round guy. He definitely wasn't day one. So Creed Humphrey jumping into uh, number or continuing to stay at number one, holding firm here as he leads our rookie rankings. I love it. Creed Humphrey dominating. Uh, and with that, that is our rookie rankings. Now, I've got some news around the league. we got some stuff to go over. And, uh, you know, this one is going to be uh, uh, somewhat of an entertaining time. I'm going to address the, the elephant in the room. Let's start talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's start talking about Coach Urban Meyer. Jags players and staff, I mean, there, there's a lot of tension there. Um, it's a two and ten start. Uh, I'm going to take this right from NFL.com because this is um, this is what has gone on in in you know the Jaguar in Jacksonville and with the Jags organization with Urban Meyer. Uh, this is this is just um, just an interesting situation that has started to unfold in the past two weeks. So according to to what we're we're hearing here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this like I said right from NFL.com. In the past two weeks alone, sources say receiver Marvin Jones, one of the locker room's most respected and mild mannered veterans, became so angry with Meyer's public and private criticism of the receiver group that he left the facility until other staff members convinced him to come back and had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. That doesn't happen with Marvin with Marvin Jones. You don't you don't get that from Marvin Jones. Um, so I, I can see obviously that this is a major issue. Um, second up, he during a staff meeting, Urban Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and that his assistant coaches uh, coaches are losers. According to several people informed of the contents of the meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. Now, that that's not a leader. That's not a leader at all. Um, and then, obviously, number three, contrary to his public statements that it was injury-related, Meyer ordered uh, James Robinson's benching after an opening drive fumble in last week's 37-7 road loss to the Rams, and then had uh, running backs coach Bernie Parmalee stop Robinson from re-entering the game, insisting Carlos Hyde, who played for Meyer at, at Ohio State, stay in. Only after Trevor Lawrence questioned Meyer on the sideline about Robinson's absence was Robinson allowed to return to the game in the second quarter. Speaking to reporters this week, Trevor Lawrence says the bottom line is that James is one of our best players and he's got to be on the field and we addressed it and I feel like we're in a good spot and the whole team, we're good. And uh, several Jaguars players have vented their frustration to Rams players after that game, reiterating the common complaint that Meyer who had no prior NFL experience, doesn't treat them like adults. And the staff meeting follows a pattern of tense interactions between Meyer and his assistants dating back to the offseason. After opening the preseason with consecutive losses, for instance, sources say Meyer informed assistants that he was sick of being embarrassed, and if the team didn't start winning immediately, some of them wouldn't be around for a second year. And and all this comes you know, on the heels of all of his stuff that has occurred you know, in the off season, with him, you know, having a, a, bl a little pretty blonde girl grinding on him in the in the bar there, and you know that obviously wasn't his wife, and you know, obviously, you know, there's something going on there, and he handpicked the strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle, who resigned under pressure and um, because of his racial remarks, and and you know, I mean, it, it was a huge problem. 
Um, special teams coordinator Brian Schneider takes a leave of absence in May for personal reasons. He doesn't return. Myers Chief of Staff Fernando Lovo left the team last month to return to the University of Texas. Tight ends coach Tyler Bowen is expected to become the offensive coordinator at Virginia Tech, according to college sports and recruiting. And, and I mean, these, these are issues. These are all issues on top of all of his COVID stuff that he got, he got, uh, um, you know, fined for. And I, I mean, it, it's just mind boggling. The, the whole thing is mind boggling. And I think Urban Meyer and, and Tyler and I have talked about this, um, before. I think Urban Meyer is a joke. Really, I do. I think he's a bad coach. I think he's he's not a leader. I think he hasn't, and that all that all those notes that I read to you, those were from NFL.com. I, I this has been like a long time coming. We knew things like this were were on the way as far as the Jags go. We knew the tent. It was a very tense situation down there, and here we are. Um, you know, with with uh, Urban Meyer, just he's screwing the pooch here. I've talked about it consistently that I believe James Robinson is the best player on that football team. And the fact that he hasn't been utilized and knowing that Carlos Hyde played for Urban Meyer in Ohio State, it really says a lot about, you know, Urban Meyer and, and you know, just, you know, liking his Ohio State guys and whatever the case may be. I don't think Urban Meyer is a good coach. I don't think he knows what he's doing. I think he's lost. His ceiling is college football. He is not a pro-level coach. So Urban Meyer, yeah, he's um, he's he's got to be you know toast after after this season. Um, so there's that. Next up uh, in that same division, when it comes to the Texans, they went and waived linebacker Zach Cunningham, and the Titans went and picked him up off of waivers. Um, you know, Cunningham has had a down season so far. He hasn't been playing as well as he normally does. But here we are, you know, they're, they're releasing this guy. I don't think it's a smart release. I think the Titans got a good pickup in, in Zach Cunningham. I think it's a really smart move. So, yeah, Cunningham going to the, going to the Titans. They get away with one here and uh, claim him off of waivers, get a good linebacker. Also with the Texans, QB Tyrod Taylor is considered week-to-week with a wrist injury uh, after replacing Davis Mills in Sunday's game versus the Colts. But Davis Mills has been named the official starter of the Houston Texans. I think the Texans are kind of just throwing their hands up here. I don't think Davis Mills is the the you know answer, and you know really the it's a kind of a time sensitive situation where you never know um, how quickly a player is going to develop, and you really need him to develop quickly. Davis Mills, you know, obviously it's going to take time for him to develop into the player that they need him to be, and uh, I don't know that the Texans have the patience to do that. So. Here we are, Texans. They they do name Davis Mills a starting quarterback for the rest of the season, but I think they're just kind of throwing their hands up for the rest of the year and going, meh, let's get some draft picks. Um, also, speaking of the Titans, the Titans designated wide receiver Julio Jones to return from IR with a ham, with his hamstring injury. Um, I know Tyler's not big on Julio Jones, but he's still Julio Jones, and I think it's still a boost for that Titans offense. They've been needing it, and uh, getting Julio back is going to be – a big help for that team. Uh, next up, you got the Seattle Seahawks. QB Russell Wilson says he hopes to play in Seattle for the next 20 years. He says the rumblings of him potentially waiving his no-trade clause are a, quote, non-story. You know, <clears throat> we've heard this type of things before. 
for players. And this, I think, is kind of no different. I don't think that is he is he you know telling the truth? Yeah, maybe he is. But you never really know how players' minds change. Um, you know, last season he wanted out of there, and then he said, oh, "Okay, I'll come back and play." So we'll see what goes on with old Russ Wilson here. I, I have questions about, about whether or not he wants to be there, and I have questions about how long he's going to continue to last in this league if that offensive line continues to let him get the hell beat out of him week over week over week. Uh, also with Seattle, the safety, Jamal Adams, he's set to undergo season-ending sh- shoulder, shoulder surgery, easy for me to say, after suffering a torn labrum on Sunday. Jamal Adams, you know, we, we've kind of talked about Jamal Adams as kind of one of those boomer bust type of players. He's the kind of guy that's going to, um, you know, really execute a huge monster hit. But, you know, sometimes he can be a, a liability in coverage because he's looking for those big hits. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a loss for the Seahawks. It sucks. Their defense has already been, you know, in dire straits this year. And uh, this doesn't make it any better. I still, I still think the Seahawks are cooked. I don't think they're making the playoffs, and and Tyler and I have both kind of agreed on that situation. Right now, they're sitting at four and eight, so technically speaking, they're still alive. But I, yeah, I don't think they're going to be making the playoffs this year. And this one is just another big hit on those uh, uh, on that trip there. Um, next up, moving over to the Saints, uh, Saints running back Alvin Kamara. He did return to practice with his knee injury. Um, but on the other side, Mark Ingram gets placed on the COVID reserve list. So they lose one running back, but gain another back. Um, so Alvin Kamara is returning to the practice field. It's looking like he's going to wind up playing on Sunday. Um, the Saints do wave wide receiver Kenny Stills just five days after a key drop that resulted in an interception versus the Cowboys on Thursday night. You know, Kenny Stills is a good receiver. He's been a good receiver for them for a while. Um, he, he's kind of like a a high-end number two, I think. But, yeah, he and, and the Saints utilized him for a long time as a number one. It's kind of amazing how, you know, the mighty have kind of fallen off here because the Saints were using him for a number one for some time. So, kind of an interesting thing. But Kenny Stills has now been waived. He's, he's out of there. We'll see if anybody winds up claiming him. Uh, Saints wide receiver Deontay Harris was suspended for three games for his DUI res- uh, arrest a few weeks ago. Um, so there's that they're, they're going to need, uh, some more wide receiver help. I mean, the, the saints are, their wide receiver room is starting to get a little thin and they also place defensive end Cam Jordan on the COVID reserve list. Uh, so the saints just losing players left and right. Um, hopefully Cam Jordan come for them comes back uh, sooner than later, but, uh, yeah, the saints just having guys drop to COVID and getting waived and all kinds of stuff, uh, just having uh, some issues over there. Next up, they're, uh, one of their rivals, the Vikings, my boys, uh, Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen. He suffers a high ankle sprain versus the Lions. He did not play on this past Thursday night against the Steelers where the Vikings won that game. Um, you know, it, Justin Jefferson looked damn good with, without Thielen on the field. It makes me wonder whether or not Thielen is necessary. Really, it, it, that's kind of where it's at. So I've, I've got questions about that. Uh, Vikings left tackle Christian Derrissaw, he didn't practice due to an ankle injury. Um, he didn't play in Sunday's game versus the Lions. He didn't play Thursday versus the Steelers. Derrissaw has a, had a bit of an injury bug going into this season. Um, he had core surgery leading into the season, and everybody was wondering, is he going to be available? And here we are, Derrissaw, dealing with another injury. Um, I like Christian Derrissaw. I think he's a high-end um, 
a high-end offensive tackle. I think the Vikings don't know what in the hell they're doing with their offensive line because with Derisaw going out, the Vikings shuffled their offensive line and put Aliudo in his place and all this stuff. To me, it's kind of a simple fix with Derisaw going out. You have Ezra Cleveland, who you drafted as an offensive tackle. So why wouldn't you kick him out to offensive tackle and have him play left tackle? Take Wyatt Davis, who you've been sitting on the bench for no reason at all, and put him at guard, and then you have Garrett Bradbury at center, Mason Cole at guard, Brian O'Neill at offensive tackle. It's a pretty easy fix, but no, Mike Zimmer likes to complicate things and do all this silly shit. But at the end of the day, Christian Derrissaw, uh, he's hurt, and uh, we'll see if he returns. I doubt the Vikings are going to stick him on IR at all. Um, Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr, he was limited in practice with a knee and hamstring injury. He did return Thursday night versus the Steelers. <clears throat> Look, Anthony Barr's always hurt. It's a degenerative knee, a degenerative, there we go, knee issue. Just get him out of here. It's time. It's time. The, the Anthony Barr experiment's over. We restructured his deal so we could get rid of him after this year. Just let him go after this season. It's, that's basically what it comes down to. Just let him walk. Uh, one guy that we don't want to let walk go, Eric Kendricks. He had a bicep injury. He didn't practice this week, but he did return on Thursday night versus the Steelers. Played very, very well. Eric Kendricks um, returns to the field um, off of the biceps injury. So the Vikings, they were very happy to have him back um, in, the, uh, in the fold there. Uh, now moving on to Tyler's Ravens. Uh, Ravens quarterback uh, Marlon Humphrey, cornerback. Marlon Humphrey out for the season with a shoulder injury. Painful, painful loss for, for I mean, this this Ravens team has been snake bit with um, just injury after injury after injury, and this is no different. I don't know how they're still alive in the hunt here. I don't know how they're getting it done. But once again, the Ravens, another injury to a key player. This is going to be brutal for them moving forward, um, and, and I don't know how they're going to, going to continue uh, with, with their defense being in that in shambles like it is. Next up in that division, you got the Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger says he's not ready to talk about retirement, but apparently he's told several sources and players around the team that he's likely retiring after this season. You know, it's been a long time coming. Ben has come in kind of iffy on the field. Some weeks he's looking really good. Some weeks he's looking really rough, and, and he's he's obviously lost a step. The, the elbow surgery a few years ago really, you know, that, that beat up on his body. I, yeah, it's about time. He's 39 years old. I think Ben, Ross, ben Roethlisberger, um, it's, it's about time to hang up the cleats, but the Steelers better start thinking about their future because they don't have much of a future at that quarterback position without Ben there. And Tyler and I talked about that a few weeks ago, and I'm, I am going to continue talking about that. They need to get themselves a new starting quarterback on that team. Uh, next up, Steelers outside linebacker T.J. Watt. He exited uh, Thursday's game versus the Vikings with a groin injury. Nobody knows the, um, the current status of, of him, but he's listed as questionable moving forward. So we'll see if T.J. Watt, he's a key cog to that, that Steelers defense, and he's a great player. So we'll see if he can uh, continue getting back on the field. Also within the, the division, the Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow dislocated his pinky finger in the loss versus the Chargers. Um, <clears throat> I, I hope that it, for Joe Burrow's sake that he can continue, but man, injuring your finger as a quarterback is awful. It's an awful situation, and uh, 
Burrow has had a series of hand injuries and shoulder injuries, and then he had tore his ACL last year and all kinds of stuff. Um, I don't think he's set to miss any time. He is listed as questionable, but I think he's going to be on the field on Sunday. Um, also, corner, the uh, Chidobe Ouzi. He's considered day-to-day with an ankle injury. Ouzi uh, has been a, a surprise for the Bengals this year. He's played very, very well, um, and, and I'm sort of surprised that, that he's uh, – He's played as well as he has. He's hurt now. He's considered day-to-day. I think it'll be a huge boost for the Bengals to get him back. He is just, he's been like a a better player than like when the the Cowboys had their fire sale at corner. He's been actually a better player than the high-end guys that that went off of that team in that big fire sale at corner. So, yeah, that's um, what we're seeing there. Speaking of the Cowboys, um, head coach Mike McCarthy, he has guaranteed a victory over the Washington football team. Uh, head coach Rod, Ron Rivera says, not so fast. I think that's a big mistake. I think it's a big mistake, too. I think Washington has been uh, red hot, um, Washington football team, and, and they've won, I believe, four in a row, five in a row, something like that. They've been playing really good ball. I do think that this is a um, a big mistake by the Cowboys just assuming a victory over a team like Washington, who's been so red hot. Um, but Washington is missing some pieces into the, going into this game. Defensive end Montez Sweat, he did test positive for COVID-19. He's out 10 days due to his unvaccinated status. So they're going to be without Montez Sweat, and they'll also be without Logan Thomas for the rest of the year. He's been placed on IR with a knee injury. That effectively ends his season because he was on IR earlier this year. Um, and it came on a hit by Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, that hurt him. Head coach Rodden Vera says that that hit was avoidable and uh, that it was kind of a cheap shot. And uh, yeah, I, Logan Thomas is a good player. One thing I just want to point out as far as Logan Thomas goes is there's been a lot of injuries surrounding Logan Thomas. At a certain point, Washington kind of has to cut bait. They had the same problem with Jordan, Lee, Jordan Reed for a while. Now they're having it with Logan Thomas. Washington needs to find a more durable tight end because they haven't had a durable tight end in quite some time. So Logan Thomas out for the year, and then also out for the year is quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's set to undergo season-ending arthroscopic hip surgery. Uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he hasn't been starting anyway. This is the the Taylor Heineke show. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a huge loss for them, uh, and uh, Fitzmagic is probably going to wind up catching on somewhere else, although I think he should probably retire. He's starting to get up there in the years. But, yeah, season-ending hip surgery for Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, you know, moving forward. Uh, in Charger land, let's, let's go over to the Chargers. They go ahead and place wide receiver Mike Williams, wide receiver Keenan Allen, and corner Chris Harris, all on the COVID reserve list. Uh, huge losses for the Chargers here. They're going to have to get something going um, on the offensive side of the ball. We do know that uh, wide receiver, rookie wide receiver Josh Palmer sees an opportunity here. Uh, Josh Palmer was a guy that I liked in the draft. I thought he was going to get selected and and be more of a factor. He hasn't been a factor yet. But with the Chargers, he's got his opportunity now. So we're going to see if Josh Palmer is going to be a potential number one guy with the Chargers, and we'll see if he he can take advantage of the opportunity. Also, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. 
says he anticipates Joey Bosa to be back on the practice field this week after having to leave Sunday's game and be assessed for a a concussion. He was cleared to return, but he remained on the sidelines as a precaution in that game. He since has returned to the practice field, and uh, we will likely see Joey Bosa this upcoming Sunday for the Chargers. So there's that. Um, Within that division, you also have the Raiders. This is a signing here. They went and signed Dan Carlson, a kicker, to a four-year, $18.4 million extension. That's $4.6 million per year. You know, I don't like paying the the kickers huge money like that, $4.6 a year. I understand that the market is inflating. I I get it, and, and, you know, we... I, I just, kicker's $2 million for me. I mean, it's Carlson's a really good kicker. I, I, I really do think he's a, he's a good kicker. I think the Vikings kind of missed the bus on him. And then we later found out it was the holder that was the problem. It wasn't even the kicker. Um, I think Dan Carlson's a good kicker, and he's he deserves the contract. But I, I don't know if I, I would give him that big of a contract if I was a general manager. <clears throat> I got questions about it. But Dan Carlson gets his big money deal. He gets his big payout. And he'll be with the Raiders for a while now. So uh, there's that. Also with the Raiders, tight end Darren Waller is considered day-to-day with an ankle injury. He was ruled out last sun- of last Sunday's game versus Washington. And uh, now he's considered day-to-day. So who knows if we'll see Darren Waller on the field this upcoming week. But, uh, you know, we if, if he doesn't play again, we're going to be talking about Foster Moreau again. And I think Foster Moreau is a rock-solid player and actually, it just came out that Foster Moreau is going to wind up starting. Darren Waller is going to miss this week. So Foster Moreau is going to wind up starting for the uh, the Raiders uh, this upcoming week. Next up, uh, for the Giants, you got quarterback Daniel Jones reportedly has structural damage to his neck. He'll likely be out for multiple weeks. Uh, Mike Glennon was in concussion protocol. We were wondering whether or not he was going to start or whether or not we were going to see Jake Fromm, which I was so excited for. Turns out Glennon clears concussion protocol. Joe Judge is going to start Mike Glennon on Sunday. Uh, Daniel Jones, I mean, to me, they should just leave Danny Dimes out. But structural damage in your neck kind of tells me that we have a much larger problem right now. Um, you you know, they, they might want to have him go and see a surgeon and get it taken care of. This is This is not good. Uh, for a guy that you picked up number six overall in the draft a few years back. So, yeah, there's there's that. Um, speaking of guys you picked up in the draft, the Chicago Bears QB, Justin Fields. He's cleared to play after missing the last two games with a rib injury. The Bears expect him to start on Sunday Night Football versus the Packers this week uh, after Andy Dalton's rough performance. You know, not a fan. I, I, I think Justin Fields is a bust. I still think he's a bust. Um, I've been, I, we've jokingly called him Boston Fields throughout the, the, you know, duration of this season. And I think this is, you know, we, we're not going to change that tune. I think he's a bust and Justin Fields, he's going to get the start this week and who knows what in the hell he's going to do, but the Packers are going to have some fun with him. And speaking of the Packers quarterback, Jordan Love, the backup quarterback, he was placed on the COVID reserve list this week. Um, so, but I, not that it's a huge deal. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, come on now you know he's going to be starting and he's going to be ready to tear up the Bears uh, this upcoming week over in Lambeau. Um, next up, you got the Bucks Cornerback Jamel Dean, he's, conclear- he's cleared concussion protocol after leaving Sunday's win versus the Falcons. He's since been upgraded to a full practice. That's a huge coup for the Bucs, um, getting him back on the field. Jamel Dean has actually been a, a 
quite a surprise for them this season, uh, playing well, and uh, nobody expected him to play as well as he has. So that's a nice coup for the Bucks, getting Jamel Dean back on the field. Also, Bucks defensive tackle William Golston is dealing with a patellar tendon injury, but the severity of the injury really isn't known yet. He did practice in a limited fashion on Thursday. We may or may not see him on the field this upcoming Sunday, but uh, William Golston is dealing with that injury. Also in that division, with the uh, the Falcons, they went and waived punter Dustin Colquitt after activating him from the COVID reserve list. A little surprising, to be honest with you. The Colquitt brothers are like, when, when we say they're special team specialists, they are special team specialists. I mean, that's what they are. And, and whether it be Dustin or Britton, both those guys have been rock solid for a while. So... The Colquitt brothers are both right now, if I'm not mistaken, floating around um, in free agency. And I think Dustin Colquitt, he'll he'll land somewhere. Both of the brothers will land somewhere. It's just a matter of figuring out where they're going to land. But both are very, very good punters in this league. Both two two special teams monsters. So a little surprised that that um, they aren't uh, uh, going to be you know employed after this week. One guy that will be employed, the Jets signed veteran kicker Eddie Pinheiro uh, to a contract after Alex Kessman misses two extra points last week. Um, Pinheiro's a good kicker. He's been kind of an overlooked guy, someone that I'm surprised wasn't signed because he is a little younger. I like Eddie Pinheiro, um, and and I think this is a good signing. The Jets have been kind of playing around with you know, starting rookie kickers and kickers that haven't played ahead any NFL time or whatever the case. Now they get Eddie Pinheiro. I think they're going to get a little more consistency at the kicker position, um, and and it's really going to help them. But one thing that won't help the Jets is wide receiver Corey Davis. He's set to undergo season-ending core surgery, which I'm sure breaks Tyler's heart because Tyler is a huge Corey Davis guy. And uh, Corey Davis is now officially out for the season. Um, Thus far, he's been very injury-prone since he came to New York. And, uh, yeah, now he's out for the year with that core injury. Um, Next up, the Eagles. They say quarterback Jalen Hurts will remain the starter when he returns from injury in spite of the strong performance from backup Gardner Minshew. Um, Look, Minshew Mania is sort of running amok in Philadelphia right now. I get it. Um, You know, he's bringing that that goofy-ass mustache, you know, onto the field, and and he had himself a good game. We'll see if it continues whenever Jalen Hurts decides to come back, okay? But... To me, Gardner Minshew, um, he's got he, – he always does this. He comes out and he looks like a world beater, and then, you know, when they finally do decide to start him, he looks like shit. So we're going to find out if Gardner Minshew is, in fact, the real deal. But to me, I think it's smart. Just sit Gardner Minshew the fuck down and be done with it. Um Next up, you got the Patriots running back Damian Harris. He was designated as questionable to return in the second half of Monday night's game versus the Bills. He had a hamstring injury. Uh, He did return for one play before being ruled out. The Patriots' bye week is this week, so he's going to get some valuable time to heal up. This is really good news for Harris, and it's good news for the Patriots that they're hitting their bye week right now because Harris being able to recover is actually probably one of the best things um, for them right now. He's been a spectacular running back this year for them. Um, and I know a lot of people are talking about Ramadre Stevens. Nah, it's all, it's, this is the Damian Harris show. 
and the Patriots would be best suited to make this the Damian Harris show moving forward, or the Damian Harris show moving forward. So there's that. Also, the Patriots designated linebacker Jamie Collins to return from IR before Monday night's game. He has 21 days to return, according to the league's uh, IR rules. Collins is a good player. I was amazed that the Lions let him go. Uh, he's been playing really well for the Patriots, albeit he, he did get hurt. But I think Jamie Collins is rock solid. And uh, the Patriots wind up getting one of their key cogs on defense back, and they've been playing extremely well um, without uh, without Collins. He, he, so, I mean, getting him back is only going to make them better, which is just terrifying to think about uh, with them sitting at, what, 9-4 and four right now? So, Jamie Collins returning. Uh, the 49ers cornerback Emmanuel Mosley, he suffered a high ankle sprain versus the Seahawks. He's expected to miss a few weeks. That's a tough break for the Niners. Uh, Mosley's played well for them. He he hasn't been incredible, but he has played well. Um, I I think uh, this is a tough loss for the Niners. They they have a really good defense as it is. Um, but yeah, I I think that that uh, this is a tough loss for them at the corner position. Um, also speaking of the Niners, a guy who played against him this past week, Adrian Peterson, wound up coming in for the Seahawks. He didn't get much work, but. His workload could improve over the course of the next few weeks. So expect to see Adrian Peterson running the ball more. I, I think he's going to wind up, you know, being Mr. You know, 15, 20 carry a game guy uh, for a Seahawks team that desperately needs a running game after Chris Carson went down with an injury. Um, also, Pat, Panther, eh, Panthers head coach Matt Rule, he goes and fires offensive coordinator Joe Brady. He says the decision to fire him was purely football-related. Um, other people are saying otherwise, that there has been dissension in the ranks, there has been arguments, there has been trouble over there in Carolina. And um, as it stands, like I said, um, it, I think this is a... a, a a very similar thing to the Urban Meyer situation. I think there was a personal problem there, and they got rid of Joe Brady. I think Joe Brady's a good offensive coordinator, and I, I really do think this is more of a Sam Darnold problem and bad personnel problem than I think that it's a, a Joe Brady problem. So I think this is a mistake by Matt Rule, but we'll see how it pans out moving forward. Um, a kind of some sad news here, and, and this one is it kind of – it sucks to hear about former Denver Broncos. He's a Super Bowl 50 winning receiver, Demarius Thomas. He died at uh, age 33 this past week. Um, you know, nobody really knows the exact uh, cause, but uh, a lot of people are speculating that he is having seizures. Uh, we'll see if that is the case. Who knows? But um, Demarius Thomas passing away. You know, he was something incredibly special for 10, season, 10 seasons in the league. He, he was a great target for, for Peyton Manning in those years where Peyton Manning was there. Um, I remember when he burst onto the scene, Demarius Thomas was fantastic. And um, I, I, part of me really wishes he would have never left Denver because, you know, playing in Denver, he was just spectacular as a wide receiver. Um, so my condolences go to... Uh, uh, Demarius Thomas and his family, and and we hope that uh, we hope that you guys, um, you know, everything is all right over there, as as good as it can be, anyway. So, uh, next up, Oregon defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau declares for the 2022 draft, and so did Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. Both those guys, we got uh, um, all kinds of good stuff going on with the draft here. 
two key players, two big-name players. We expected these guys to declare, and both of them are declaring. Kyle Hamilton's a hell of a safety for Notre Dame. A lot of people predicting him to go first, second round. Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously he's in the talks for number one overall. We don't know how that's going to go with Aiden Hutchinson. But, um, yeah, this, this is going to be an exciting time for the NFL draft, uh, seeing two guys like this. Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously very, very impressive. He's an impressive specimen. Um, and then Kyle Hamilton is a terrific safety. So exciting news for, for uh, the draft coming up here. And uh, that is all of our news around the league. Now, real quick, we're going to be jumping into our predictions. Uh, Tyler sent me his predictions, which uh, I, I actually, you know, kind of, um, we, we were mostly the same as far as our predictions go. But, yeah, this, this is going to be one of those times where, where uh you know, we're, we're going to have a few differences. As it stands right now, I have caught up, according to what I've been told. I caught up to him as far as, because I was down a couple of games. Uh, Tyler made some rough picks, and I wound up catching up to him, but here we go. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me uh, go ahead and pull up our schedule here for, uh, oh, geez, oh, Pete's. Uh, let me pull up our our schedule here, and we can get everything going and finish out this episode in our usual fashion. Uh, so here are your predictions for week 14 in the NFL. The Vikings got picked by both Tyler and myself. We both picked them. Top Vikings did wind up winning that game 36 to 28, barely. What a shit show that turned out to be. Uh, the Cowboys versus the Washington football team. Um, I'm going ahead and I'm going to take the Cowboys in that situation. Tyler is taking the Cowboys as well. Um, next up, we got the Raiders and the Chiefs. I'm going ahead with the Chiefs in that game. Tyler is taking the Chiefs as well. I think the Chiefs have this thing wrapped up. The Raiders are starting to fall apart at the seams. Chiefs are getting red hot and looking like their old selves. Chiefs uh, for both Tyler and myself. Next up, we got the Seahawks and the Texans. Um, I go. I went ahead with the Seahawks here. And uh, where in the hell... See, he didn't even include this game. See, this is this is what I'm talking about. You see this? Just just an absolute mess. Um, we're gonna go ahead and go. I'm taking the Seahawks here. Tyler didn't put him on there, but we're going with the Seahawks um, for that game. Next up, we got the Jags and the Titans. Tyler's gonna go ahead and take the Titans. I'm going ahead and I'm taking the Titans in that game. So uh, there's that. Next up, you got the Saints and the Jets. Both Tyler and I taking the Saints here. You know, the Jets, they haven't looked horrible. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm over here thinking to myself, eh, let's go ahead and go uh, with the Saints. The Jets, you know, they're improved, but they're not that improved. Saints have been kind of falling apart with the quarterback situation. We're both going with the Saints. Next up, we got the Panthers and the uh, Falcons here. Uh, we're both taking the Falcons. Um, Falcons are, are, you know, I, I think, on their way up. And I think that the Panthers are kind of on their way down. They're sort of falling apart. They lost Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, we're going with the Falcons here. Next up, you got the Ravens and the Browns. Tyler betting against his own team. He's taking the Brownies here. I disagree. I'm going to take the Ravens in spite of the defensive woes. Yeah, I'm going with the Ravens here. 
um, in, in this one. Uh, next up, we've got the Lions and the Broncos. Both Tyler and I taking the Broncos, in spite of the fact that the Lions are coming off this, this you know, huge win. We're going to go ahead and both take the Broncos. Also, I found Tyler's list here. He did wind up taking the Seahawks in that uh, game with the, the Texans. Next up, you got the Giants and the Chargers. Um, I'm going to go ahead with the uh, Chargers here, no doubt. Tyler's taking the Chargers as well in that game. Next up, you got the Bucks and the Bills. I'm going ahead and taking the Bucks. Tyler is taking the Bucks as well. I think this is going to be Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things. Uh, the Bills have not looked as well, as good as we expected them to look. I'm going and taking the Bucks. Tyler's taking the Bucks too. Uh, next up, you got the 49ers and the Bengals. Both Tyler and I taking the Bengals in this situation. Uh, I like the Bengals. I think that that uh, the Niners, if they're going to be effective in this game, they're going to have to get Elijah Mitchell going. Yeah, we're both taking the Bengals here. Next up, we've got Sunday Night Football, Packers and the Bears. Both Tyler and I taking the. Uh, the Packers in this situation. I think this is a no-brainer, especially with Justin Fields coming back. I'm going with the Packers. And last but not least, Monday Night Football, Rams and Cardinals. I'm going to go ahead and take the Cardinals here. Tyler's taking the Cardinals as well. I contemplated taking the Rams in that game, but with how the game early went earlier on in the season, Cardinals all day. And with that, those are your predictions for uh, Week 14 in the NFL. And uh, folks, Thank you so much for listening. Um, I know it's kind of a rough week here because we don't have the banter back and forth, but it'll be okay. Tyler will be back next week, and um, we'll get everything squared away. Everything's going to be good. So uh, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors over at It's Your Thai Massage. Uh, Amanda's a wonderful massage therapist. You can check her out at IYTMassage.com, or you can check it out over on uh, Facebook at It's Your Thai Massage. Um, get yourself a massage. She's one of the best around, if not the best around. So check her out. Also, big shout out to Face Kicked Apparel. Um, FaceKickedApparel.com. Sean Stockmeyer is a tremendous, tremendous guy for shirts, hats, hoodies, uh, uh, pants. You pick it, he sticks it over at FaceKickedApparel.com. And folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. Tyler will be back in the studio. We will see you next week right here on the Outside Blitz. Join us soon on the Outside Blitz. And be sure to follow on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the Outside Blitz. And feel free to email us questions at theoutsideblitz at gmail.com.